Have you ever lost something really important? One that sticks out, it will always stick out in my mind was, for five years I had the privilege of taking care of our Archbishop Emeritus Cusera, Daniel Cusera, when he was at Stonehill. And uh, the morning after he died, I was given the assignment to get all of his stuff packed up. His brother, who was also a Benedictine monk, was going to come and take everything back to the monastery. And uh, Daniel's room was about the same size as everybody else's, except he had an office in his, so there was crap everywhere. There was computer and desk and books and papers and... Um, and so, if you know me at all, this was a great job for me because I like to purge and clean. So I, the room is a mess and I had all this stuff packed up and I went and got one of those big trash cans on wheels from the nurse's station and I'm going through stuff and packing up stuff and I get a phone call from the funeral home. And the funeral home wanted me to bring the vestments that he was going to be buried in, whatever stuff a bishop's buried in. I thought, great. We'd been over this a million times. I knew exactly what I needed to do. So I got his clothes and his vestments and his miter and all that stuff. And I was just getting ready to leave the room. And I thought, oh, where's his ring? It's the sign of being a bishop. OMG. Now, it usually was on the nightstand. He took it off at night. And it was on the nightstand. If it wasn't on the nightstand, it was in the drawer. It wasn't in either place. Oh, my God. So I was digging and digging and digging and digging, and I thought, oh, and it's not just that it's a ring, but there is no replacement. He didn't have a second one for, if I can't find my good one, I'll put on my old one. So at the last minute, I'm praying and praying and praying, and so I thought, well, there's only one place left, that great big garbage can. And so i digging through this, all this stuff's out all over the floor. I got to the very bottom, and there was his ring. Praise you, Jesus. Well, this idea about being lost in the scriptures today is not really about things. But we can use the things as the example of what was trying to be taught to us. What about you? Have you ever felt lost? Like you didn't have direction? Like you just didn't know where to go? You just, you just don't know? Well, this particular chapter of Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter, is one that's called the heart of the Gospel. And so there's some teaching in this 15th chapter that really everything else circles around, and I think you'll see why. So Jesus uses these three parables, first one, second one, third one, so they're about the sheep, the coin, and then the third one is the prodigal son. We're not using that one today because everybody's heard that one a lot, and a lot of times the first two parables get the short stick, and so we want to emphasize those first two today. But the important thing is right before Jesus teaches these parables is verse 1. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to him, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the whole context of what Jesus is trying to teach us is that this is why he came. Now, you have to decide whether or not he came for you or not. So the first one is about the lost sheep. Now, most of us don't like to admit if we're lost. In fact, there's a 
the joke goes around about if a man's driving, uh, now I don't need to stop, I know where I'm going. You might have gone past the same place three times, but by God, I'm not gonna ask anybody what the directions are. Now, mercifully, God has provided us with cell phones so men can save face. So we can look on there to see what our directions are. Two days ago, I was driving behind a Jeep that had a cover on the back that said, not who, all who wander are lost. Cute, but not necessarily true. We look at that first reading about the sheep, and you could have looked at this a couple ways. He could have just cut his loss. A businessman, well, I got 99. Be nice to have the other one. But what Jesus was trying to help us to understand is the symbol of a hundred in the scriptures is a sign of wholeness. So you're not whole. If you're not all together, you're not whole. So we hear what happens. He goes and searches it and finds it and then is glad about what happens. Now, of course, the issue is, is we have to admit that we're lost. We have to admit that we're lost. We don't like to do that. The second one comes with the coin, okay? And so there were nine coins, she lost one. And again, 10 is a sign of completeness. And so she works through the house and actually one of those coins was really worth a lot of money. Uh, and really, in Jesus' time, so was one sheep. Because the shepherd rarely shepherded his own sheep. It was somebody else's. And so if you lost one, you were screwed. So it kind of puts a different edge to this, huh? And so as we look at both of these, part of it is, is will we admit that there's a loss? And for us, being lost means that we're sinners. So it's not about money. It's not about our car keys. Really, ultimately, in the spiritual life, it's about our relationships with ourselves, with others, and with God. And so I'll ask you this question. Have you ever lost a relationship? Lost a relationship. Maybe it was through a death. Maybe it was through a divorce. Maybe it was a best friend. Uh, but if you've lost a relationship, you know what that hurt is. You know what that loss is like. You know that there's a hole in you that nothing will ever fill. You know that. You can't even put it into words. You know incompleteness. So now enter Jesus with two words in the gospel today that are miraculous. And they both start with R. Repent and rejoice. Repent and rejoice. And this is why we hear that this is the heart of the gospel. You see, one of the things that we have a hard time wrapping our brain around as human beings is that Jesus loves us not because of what we are, but because of who we are. So the scriptures tell us over and over again that God loves the, the sinners and the infidels and, the, and the, the tax collectors and the people who cheat on their wives and all those other kinds of things. Um, but we don't get that because Jesus doesn't love us because we're those things. He loves us because who we are. He puts up with the other stuff because he loves us for our eunice, not what we do. And so he loves us. Bishop Barron says, I, I did some reading in an article that he had this week, and Bishop Barron says, he loves your what? Because he loves your you. Human beings don't do that. We let the what get in the way. So he's going, well, you know what he did. You know what she did. You know what he did to me a long time ago. And the what gets in the way. Well, we can't allow that to happen. 
and we need God to make sure it doesn't. He loves our what? Because he loves our you. He loves us no matter what. So the hinge between this is this idea that he doesn't love our accomplishments, our popularity, our charity, our works, not nearly as much as our sorrow. So if Jesus came to save sinners, that's the only reason he came. You and I need to decide if we're going to put ourselves in that category or not. We already are. But it's about being honest. It's about being honest. If we can't start there, there's no place to go if we're dishonest. I don't need that. I don't need to go to church. You know what? The only reason we're here is because we need this. You don't know that today, but it's true. Do you think you're better than everybody else because you came to church today? You're not. I hope that you came because you're more honest. That you know that you need this. That without this, nobody pricks your conscience. Nobody kind of says, now wait a minute. Because otherwise, we do wander. And we really are lost. That's why we're here today. So the hinge between both of the parables that we had today is there was rejoicing after they came back. Now, if our churches were places that people who screwed up and did all kinds of awful things, but they come back, if they were a place that people rejoiced with them, they would be jam-packed full. But it's interesting, tragically, that in every religious community, in the past, in the present, or in the future, there are those who are here who think that they follow the rules really well, and they set themselves up as kind of elite over everybody else. They're not. They're probably just dishonest. And so the reason that, that people a lot of times say, well, I can't go to church because um, my marriage is a mess, or I did this, or I had this thing in my past. My God, <laughs> you need to be here. You need to be here. This isn't for the saved. This is for those who are in process. So why do I share these things? Well, first of all, I do so because we are all in need of repentance. We're all in need of repentance. There's all things that we can improve on. There's all parts of our lives that are broken and messed up. And we know it. Nobody really needs to tell us, but we need to be honest with God about it. And the second reason is you've read in the bulletin, we've had in the bulletin for about the past two months, that next Sunday is National Back to Church Sunday. And National Back to Church Sunday, or Saturday, uh, is not just about a one-day thing. You know, you grab somebody by the neck and say, come on to church with us this week, and then you never talk to them again. No, that, that, that's not what it's about. National Back to Church Sunday is firstly maybe for us who are here. What are we going to really make this? Is this something that I'm just going to try to get in sometimes? Or is it going to become a central part of my life? If it's a central part of your life, I can guarantee you that things will change. That's a promise. But more importantly, if there's somebody that you're thinking about, and I hope you've been thinking about that, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to ask? Who are you going to bring with you to church? This is not just somebody that there's a drive-by prayer and you leave them laying in the street afterwards. It's who you're going to commit yourself to. Who's somebody who's alone, who's somebody kind of going down a path that isn't the best, that you're going to say, you know what? I am going to be that person's friend if it kills them. I'm not going to let go. I'll call them up. I'll talk to them every once in a while. Say, hey, why don't you meet me at church? 
what's going on in your life. Go visit them, have a beer with them. That, it's this relationship thing, huh? That's what, that's what church is about. So it's about getting back in the saddle. So when we talk about this idea about I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, can you admit that you're lost? Not just the people out there, but right here. Can you admit, boy, I don't know, there's some parts of my life that are pretty lost. It's about recognizing the lost parts of ourselves. It's about rejoicing over others who were lost and came back. If you know somebody, who, for example, who's in recovery, you should be celebrating with them all the time because it's a wonderful thing. We're not better because we're here. We're better because we're more honest and knowing what we need. That's what God's asking of us. So as we continue to pray today, we think about the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is admitting that we're lost and then turning around and saying, you know, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do or I don't know what you're going to do in my life, but I am convinced that you're going to help me. That I can trust. I was lost. I'm back. See? That's why they call this the heart of the gospel.